0: All right, guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the WRPF podcast. I'm your host, Alex Yslar. And on this episode, episode four, I have uh, a very special guest who just did an insane performance at a recent meet uh, in, in Las Vegas and broke the all time world record deadlift, which she previously held, which I was in attendance to the first uh, one of the first time she broke that at the Kern US Open. Uh, that record has been uh, broken and held by Tamara for a while now, and Sarah came out of the woodworks and she scooped it back up. And uh, I'm very excited to interview Sarah, hear a little bit about her training history. She's a 47 year old mom of four children, uh, with a with a with a, a career, and I just I'm excited to hear all about Sarah, how you balance you know being a mom being a parent i'm a new parent myself my son is 1 years old so i can only imagine four kids training for all-time world records all the above so welcome sarah thank you so much
1: thanks for having me
0: absolutely so let's 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 start at the beginning okay a lot of things i want to talk about a lot of different questions i want to ask you know you're kind of an unknown in the powerlifting scene even when you broke that all-time world record a couple of years ago didn't go very viral, you know, powerlifting, especially with with uh with COVID, everything. It just it was a little bit different of a time than now. It's like I feel like people are starting to see things. The pro powerlifting circuit, you were there. You were originally supposed to come out to the ghost clash, uh, which is yeah. my meet in February. Um, so I'm excited for people to get to know you. So let's just start way back. Let's start with your training history. Okay. So did you play sports growing up? What got you into powerlifting? You're, you're a master's athlete, but I mean, you're out here breaking all time world records. So tell me about it.
1: So I ran track in high school. Um, I was a division one track and field recruit, um, and ran one, uh, year of track and field in college. Um, and then I didn't do anything until my thirties. Um, oh, wow. I had a whole bunch of kids. Yeah a whole bunch of kids and i wanted to lose the baby weight so i went to crossfit um and at crossfit i found that i was strong not not powerlifting strong but stronger than the other crossfit women um and so a friend suggested that maybe i could do a powerlifting meet with her and so i did one in 2012 so this was, was
0: so this was a pretty long gap so college was your early 20s now we say 30s but crossfit this was probably within early 2010s right 2010 2011 or so so you were already in your later 30s by then yeah yep you had all four of your children at this point yes okay okay so you you find crossfit hey didn't we all crossfit did so much for strength sports and exposing powerlifting and olympic weightlifting olympic weightlifting being one that was like you know for a lot of people but like you and me were taller individuals, lankier. It's like, I don't know how you did with the Oli lifts, but I did not do well with those in CrossFit. And that, I tried doing that because I thought it was really cool, but same. That's how I found powerlifting in, in 2013 where they started in CrossFit in 2012. So same there. So t- t- let's rewind back. You're doing CrossFit at this CrossFit gym. What, what CrossFit gym was it?
1: Diablo CrossFit in Pleasant Hill, California.
0: Okay, very cool. So CrossFit was starting to get that really big uprise Mm -hmm. of people. It was really a household name at this point in 2012. So, okay, so someone someone suggested to you powerlifting. Did that gym have like a powerlifting club or anything or just happen to be someone who liked powerlifting also?
1: One of the coaches at the gym just said, hey, you know, you should try this. Um, and I didn't realize it was a sport, and it actually took me a couple years after that meet to understand that powerlifting was a thing.
0: Okay. Um, so because, I kind of because just... even then, 2012, it still wasn't really much. It was still a lot of big fat dudes and raw and stuff. There was raw unity meet, but to me, it really wasn't until about 2014, 2015, where it was really really talked about. You know, you saw Andre Manelachev, you saw the Eric Lillabridge, you know, all these guys doing stuff. But 2012. I first heard the word insane. I just knew, you know, 531 or whatever the hell it was. And that's what I was following in the corner of my CrossFit gym, right?
1: Exactly. Um, so I kind of went into that meat blind. I did not even bench a plate. I think I squatted 200 pounds or something. Um, and I deadlifted a little over 300. And I, you know, and I liked it, but I didn't, it didn't really take at that point.
0: But let's let's talk about that. A three hundred pound deadlift in twenty twelve. Even if you looked at like elite CrossFitters at that point, the elite women weren't pulling three hundred pounds. So that's why the coach at that gym he was on to something. He knew you were built for powerlifting, even though you weren't benching a plate. He's like, man, she's got she's got something in that deadlift. She has the leverage built for it, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Very. Um- so I didn't, I didn't touch powerlifting again until I was 40. Um, I did some bodybuilding and some other stuff in between there. Um, and then a bodybuilding coach said, you really should do powerlifting. You're built for it. Um, and so I found an equipped gym here in NorCal um, and started doing equipped lifting um, for a while, for a couple of years, um, and then transitioned into RAW when I came to Jesse Burdick's gym, CSA or
0: power wad. So going off of your open powerlifting history that I have opened up, that first comp was in 2012, then it looks like 2016 is around when you started doing the geared lifting, right? Yep. And again, that, that that makes sense with the timelines of powerlifting. Like I said to me, 2014-2015 is when raw started becoming more popularized. But there wasn't gyms, you know, specific to that. You're, you were in a place in California where it was probably a lot of old school lifters and the people who had been doing the gear for a while. That's what was readily available to you. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So did you single ply, multiply, both? Multiply. Okay. Both, yeah, yeah, I, like I
1: did. A, I think I had one single ply deadlift meet.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So then we continue going forward. Jesse Burdick legend. I love, I love, I love Jesse. He is the best. So what, what year did you start going to his gym?
1: I think it's five years ago now. Okay. Yeah. 2018, somewhere around there. I've been there a while.
0: So I was, I was there 2017 or 2018 for record breakers. So that that was my first and only time that I'd been out there. I think that was one of the last years that uh, that he did record breakers. I think that was one of the still Reebok record breakers. Um, so very cool. Take me through that history of getting into Raw there. What was your first Raw meet? What was that like? Did you kind of get bit by it like that?
1: So I loved it. I sucked at gear with lifting, geared lifting in general. I could never figure out the squat suit. So I was super excited to be able to lift without all of that stuff.
0: And you were Um, a deadlifter to begin with. The suits don't, they're not as advantageous to that, right? Exactly. For your leverages, it's like if you were built to be a squatter, cool. Maybe you'd have some fun with it, right? But yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, so I was super psyched to be in a raw gym. Um, My first meet was maybe six or eight months after I came to Jesse um, and was a record breakers. One of the last record breakers. Okay. Um, You haven't seen
0: that 2018 slingshot record breaker. That might've been the year that I was there. I think. Might've been. Very cool.
1: And I was completely clueless about the raw world. You know, at that point, you know, my goal for the meet was to pull 600 Um, and so, and, you know, and to squat because my first coach felt that I was not a good squatter or bencher, so I should just be a deadlifter. Um, yeah, so that's kind of why, you know, when you look at my numbers, my deadlift is so overdeveloped, um, because I just deadlifted for a long time in the beginning of
0: my career. Got you. And then, so how, how did that shift? So I, 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 that's a lot of questions that I have that I want to talk to you about is your training in general, especially leading up to your all-time world records. But while we're on that subject, let's kind of, let's kind of talk through what your training looked like when you were a geared lifter versus how it looked like when you started training with Jesse. And do you still train under Jesse? I
1: still train under Jesse.
0: Amazing. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. I can't imagine ever having another coach. Um, So I've done conjugate all the way through my powerlifting career, both equipped and raw. Um, Jesse does kind of a, a hybrid version or his own version of conjugate. Um, But I did traditional West Side style conjugate when I was equipped lifting um, and with very high intensity, which kind of fits with the West Side model. Right. Um, So I was always hurting. Right. (laughs) Um, The only time that I took a break really was the week before a meet and the week after a meet. Um, and when I came to Jesse's gym, you know, rather than doing three week waves, he was doing two week waves, which, um, definitely helped with my recovery. Um, I was also, you know, by that point 44, 45, so I couldn't keep up the volume. Um, so I decreased my volume in accessories, which is kind of a no, no, right. For conjugate. Um, it's all about the accessories, um, and, um, started really focusing on the max lifts a little bit more, um, and, you know, had great results that way.
0: Amazing. Is that how you, you're still somewhat training?
1: That's exactly how I'm still training all the way. Yeah. It's been the same. And Jesse programs for a group, which is amazing. So most conjugate is individual programming. Sure. Right. Um, Jesse programs for the whole gym. And I've been able to follow that gym programming my whole career there um, and make meaningful progress, you know, all the way through. Um, So he's just an an amazing programmer. We're all making progress.
0: Well, that's something that I, I, you know, I like to speak on. My philosophies on training are a lot of specificity, right? And although conjugate is not very specific you know there is a big focus on accessories you are saying that even though you have variation of your compounds the second tier third tier movements you had you dialed back astronomically and you've still made a lot of progress like that right and and that's what i preach and i tell people all the time it's like your barbell movements are king your squat whether it's a high bar front squat tempo pause whatever that's king you know, you don't need to worry about how many sets of leg press or leg extension or whatever it is you accumulated. Sure, that stuff has its place, but specificity is king. And that's where I think a lot of people may have beef or gripes with certain versions of West Side, you know, where it's like you just do one uh, top set and then you go spend two hours, you know, maxing out your safety squat bar. Good morning. Plus, you know, the heaviest glute ham rages or whatever you could do not to say you're not going to make progress like that, you know, like accessories will get you bigger, stronger over time. But the king for building the main lifts are the main lifts with small variations. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Very cool.
0: Very cool. So, yeah, I, I like to hear that that's kind of Jesse's more modernized, I guess you would say, West Side. Yeah. Yeah.
1: At least for me, that's, you know, yes.
0: Very cool. Very, very cool. So. On still on the subject of kind of training. Let's get into, we'll kind of keep going back and forth through different things. This most recent, let's talk about your last year or two of training, right? So Mm -hmm. it's been three years, I believe, since uh, three or four years since you first broke the all-time world record deadlift, right? Yes. So take me through, let's rewind. Take me through your training leading up to that all-time world record deadlift, heaviest female deadlift ever done. What had you hit previously before that? Did you know going into your that meet that that was your goal? How did you set your eyes on that and how did you make it a reality?
1: So for the first time, um, the most I'd ever lifted was 540 um, in equipment, in a suit, Mm Um, I knew that I wanted 600 and I set that goal and did a lot of visualization. You know, I wrote it on my mirror. So that was the focus. Um, But, you know, and I had a lot of faith and I do have a lot of faith in Jesse. And so Jesse said, you know what, I think this is possible for you. And so I took him at his word um, and started really working hard on the compound movements, really focusing on my technique and, you know, doing a lot of squatting. Um, because I had not been squatting at that point. Um, And that really helped to bring my deadlift up.
0: Your overall leg strength, right? Exactly. Yep.
1: Exactly. And so, um, you know, we got to the meet and I, you know, pulled 600. You know, I was very, very excited. Um, But it wasn't, you know, it's not meant to be egotistical. It wasn't a surprise in a way, because the work had been there and the numbers were coming up. And Jesse had been telling me that this was going to happen. Right. Yes. And so this is
0: that record maker breakers 2018. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, the, the meat, I think the biggest surprise for me in that meat was the fact that I squatted 500 um, because up until that point, I'd been hearing that I was never going to be able to squat effectively.
0: Mm hmm. Very cool. So after that first 600 deadlift, was the, where did that rank you at that time? It's 2018. It's like powerlifting was on its massive, massive come up, but still 600 pound deadlift by a female was practically unheard of. Since then, we've seen handfuls across different weight classes, right? And then we'll get into the whole other animal of deadlifting, the heaviest deadlift of all time. But where did that rank you at that time? What were your goals after that? This is your first raw meat coming over from a new coach and you you pull 600. Where do you go from there? So
1: it was an all-time world record for super heavyweight, and they hadn't even broken up the super heavyweight categories yet by then, right? So it was just 198 plus. So, um, so were, you,
0: were you the first female to pull 600 in the competition?
1: No. No. So um, Samantha Coleman had okay. had the record before me. Um, and then Cece Holcomb had pulled 600
0: already. Okay. Gotcha. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, after that, you know, that was the all time world record. And then the next goal was to have the biggest deadlift ever. And at the time, CeCe, um held that record as a 198. Um, and I tried it at that meet, but did not, you know, did not ultimately succeed. So that was the long-term goal. Following that, um, I wanted to make sure that at some point I hit that before I stopped powerlifting.
0: Nice. So, I mean, here we are, five years later, haven't stopped, not stopping yet, right? So, keeping moving forward. It was. It was. It is in 2021 the current U S open, right? I think that was the first U S open post COVID COVID had already been a thing for a year. They had to cancel it in 2020. Um, I'm down here in Florida. So, you know, 2020, I was still living it up. I know California (laughs) was super, super, super tight for you guys. And when we found out the U S open was happening in 2021, everyone was super stoked. I knew I was going to fly out. I was going to judge it. You know, I'd been at the last three previous U.S. Open, so I was very excited for that. So take me through kind of your training through COVID. You know, that was you had a almost a year and a half, two year gap from when you last competed leading into that U.S. Open. Uh, what did that look like through COVID? You knew you, the U.S. Open was when you were going to go for that heaviest deadlift of all time. Obviously, you would wanted it years prior. Now, how did we get there?
1: So initially during COVID, I had a pack of kids at home who were not responding well to being inside all the time. So I did, yeah. So I did not train for almost nine months. Wow. Um, I just I did a little bit in my garage just to stay mobile, but really didn't lift heavy for almost a year. Um, then the gym opened back up again. I came in and I ramped up. Um, and Jesse had a great program, right, where we were really gradually ramping up um, to heavy weight, you know, a lot of volume initially kind of reacclimatizing to to lifting. Um, and I followed that program. Um, and then when it became clear that I could pull 600 again, um, I signed up for the Kern.
0: That's awesome. So how long did you have between that period off of COVID and signing up for the Kern U.S. Open? How about how many months was that? only
1: nine
0: okay nine. yeah so, so a de- decent enough amount of time to kind of rebuild but it's it's a testament i tell people this all the time you know people get so scared of taking even a week or two off of training and thinking it's going to be a thousand steps back i'm i'm king of doing that very frequently i'll take two three weeks off not do anything come back and i'm fine go on vacation i completely avoid the barbell. I love lifting, but I don't love it so much, you know, when you have so many other things going on. And I can only imagine four kids, but hell, I can't wait till I'm there, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah. Okay. So awesome. Nine months training into the current U.S. Open, you're back over 600 and you're like, boom, this is the meat that I'm going to do it at. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. So I, I I remember that moment. I remember seeing Jesse there. I remember seeing you. I didn't know who you were at the time. I'm I, Like I said, I, I'm pretty sure I was at the record breakers at that time, but I was kind of busy all over the place. And then I see this this massive deadlift getting loaded. So kind of talk me through that deadlift and kind of talk me through the aftermath. You reached that goal, something that you had set out to do. You said you wanted to do that before you retired. Let's talk about that.
1: Um. I was super excited. It was kind of a quiet reaction for me. I was pleased, right? I, you know, this was my goal. Um, And then I could retire, right? So that's, that was kind of my mindset was that, okay, I was going to be done at this point and hang out with my kids um, a little bit more since training takes a lot of time. Um, But um, that's not ultimately what happened. right? (laughs) So I took a couple, you know, I took some time off. Um, and then the record was broken pretty quickly after that. And I wanted it back. Um, so I came back. Um, yeah.
0: So almost exactly, almost exactly, exactly two years from when you first broke it was your comeback. Yes. Very cool. So along that way, kind of maintaining through training. Um, I know you were originally supposed to do the ghost Clash, which was my meet. So I'm guessing that was kind of one of your originally planned, comebacks what happened leading up to that have you had if you had through all these different journeys any kind of setbacks of injury or has it has it primarily just been kind of family and life
1: it's been family and life and covid so i was supposed to come to your meet but i got covid and missed a couple weeks oh, of wow. training and so then i just wasn't going to be able to perform at a level that i wanted to so um waited for the fighter quit meet Um, But I have not been injured. I've been super lucky, right? And I think that's also another testament to the programming. Um, I just, as long as I pay attention to when I'm getting fatigued and step back, um, I do fine.
0: I'll tell you you what. Yeah, exactly. Even at 48, much less at 28, that's freaking unheard of. But like you said, it's a testament to the programming, but I think it's also a testament to you, you know, not being in a rush, listening to your body, looking at the big picture, being okay with time off or whatever it may be, letting your body rest, spending time with your, with your family and not letting it completely consume you. Like so many, so many, so many people do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, honestly, from anyone that I've interviewed or talked to or know of an all time world record holder, you're like the most kind of laid back about it. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's an awesome accomplishment, but all right, you know, I'm going to go take a couple of months. Maybe I'll see you guys again instead of like, what's next, what's next, what's next, right?
1: You know, I think it's because I'm older, you know, I didn't find powerlifting till I was 40. So right. there was so much stuff going on. I love powerlifting. This is my favorite thing to do. But I have a private practice, you know, my work. I've got a whole bunch of kids. There's a lot going on. So there's only so much time I can dedicate to it.
0: Right. So that's a perfect segue because that is something I want to ask you about, about your career as a pediatric neurophysiologist. Is that correct?
1: Neuropsychologist. Yeah.
0: Neuropsychologist. There you go. I'm sorry. I dropped out of high school. I don't know those fancy <laughs> words or what they mean. So please explain to me, tell me what you do professionally, um, what it involves. And because, yeah, anything that's a doctorish seems like it takes up a lot of time to me. <laughs>
1: it, yeah, it does take a lot of time. So I am a clinical psychologist with expertise in neuropsychology, which basically means I look at the relationship between brain and behavior. Um, I work with kids exclusively. So um, predominantly with kids who have neurodevelopmental disorders, learning disorders, or behavioral issues. So autism, learning disabilities, ADHD, those kinds of things. I administer tests, and then I make recommendations and I send them out into the world to follow those recommendations so they can do better in school and function better in their lives.
0: Wow, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's amazing. That must feel very fulfilling. What 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 got you to choosing that? What, like through schooling, did you know you wanted to work with kids specifically, and what what brought you to that exact very specific role?
1: So I had a super wild childhood. Um, I just was out of control all the way through high school. Um, partied really really hard, got in lots of trouble, um, and then got sober when I was twenty. Um, And at that point, I realized that I wanted to work with people who were different, Um, not necessarily kids at the time, you know, that came later, but um, I wanted to understand why people were functioning differently in the world. Um, Initially, I worked with people with eating disorders, um, and then I worked with people with addiction. And then ultimately, um, in graduate school, I fell into working with kids with autism in particular and just loved just loved them, loved those kids and the way that they look at the world.
0: That's so awesome. My story, similar but different. I also got sober at 19 and knew, I, I got sober through a gym and I knew through a CrossFit gym specifically, I knew fitness as what changed my life and molded my life and put me down a better path because I was heading in a very, very bad place already wasn't a very bad place. And I knew fitness is what I wanted to do. And I wanted to help people and reach people through fitness, you know, whether it was helping them through sobriety, helping them get sober, helping them lose weight, helping them better themselves. And it just sent me down that path, you know, 11, 11, years ago for me now. And, you know, I, I couldn't be, it couldn't have, it couldn't have worked out much better. So it's like a lot of the time our own traumas and our own mistakes can fuel us to be able to help people, whether it's not to make those same mistakes or just to, you know, just to help people in general. Right.
1: Absolutely.
0: Very, very cool. I love that. That's awesome. A couple other questions I want to jump into. So I was informed you were originally supposed to compete on day through the uh, day three of the American pro in wraps and you switched to competing on day two to compete in sleeves. Is that correct? Yes. Very, very cool. So talk to me a little bit about the that decision making thought process behind that and what the people can be expecting to see. <laughs> so
1: um at the Fighter Quit meet, Micah said, I think that you should do this. Um, this would be a good idea and it would be super cool. And you can compete for the biggest deadlift with Tamara. Um, and I thought that would be great, right? Tamara was at the fighter quit meet. Um, and you know, we're definitely neck and neck at this point. So I just think it would be really, really exciting. Sleeves are not my thing. You know, I don't have a lot of cartilage in my knees, um, just, you know, from being my age. Um, so wraps are a little bit easier, but I'll be working hard to bring up my squats so that I have a good performance at that meet.
0: That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So that's going to be, you've never really had something like that in your competitive history right something that really pushes you or forces you to make certain decisions yeah true because it seems like every time you've competed it's like your goals were an all-time world record going for that it's like you weren't going to the Kern us open to win best overall female right it was i'm going in there for that deadlift you know i i pull it i don't it gets loaded in the bar i don't need a pound more so now it's like Pressure's on a little bit more. This must be kind of something that's different, something that's kind of exciting now in your career, right?
1: It definitely drives me to train harder.
0: I love it. I'm I, I'm going to be there, and I'm personally very, very excited to kind of see that. So some other questions we have. How do you manage your physical and mental recovery after intense training or competition? So I know you mentioned you take a week off before the meet. You take a week off after the meet. Um, but mentally throughout training cycles? You know, we've talked about taking periods of time off, but when you know you're prepping for a competition, how do you deal with that?
1: I try to focus on being as positive as possible. You know, I do set goals. I do visualize successfully completing the lifts. Uh, and I um, spend a lot of time around people and around things that are going to be uplifting, for lack of a better term. Um, So that mentally I'm in a good place moving in. I try not to get mired in, you know, poor training days. Everybody has them. Um, And so I see them as a necessary part of getting better um, and move past them. And I have some really great training partners who help me with that. You know, should I have a bad day or, you know, start to wonder, there are people that I can bounce this off of um, and will do so.
0: Shout Um, out to Jeremy, right?
1: yeah jeremy and tiffany leung for sure i
0: love them man i love 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 jeremy he came down one of one of the first meets that i ever ran was the first hybrid showdown and he came down and he did the deadlift only portion of that i I think i'd met him before that at record breakers and you know we hit it off he's such a good human such an awesome guy
1: greatest guy absolutely yes
0: and i'll tell you what that's something that a lot of people don't have just like the right community and that right support system and people you can bounce things off of and talk to. And that's just something that's so, so special to have. And you guys definitely have something very special out there.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think that they are part of the reason that I came back. I just missed the community at the gym so much. So yes, I wanted that record, but also um, I missed my people. Um, I wanted to be back in the gym, hanging out with them. And it was a great way to get in, in the beginning. You know, it's always overwhelming coming back when you've taken months and months off uh, because you're just not where you were before. And it's, you have to really have the right mindset that it's all going to come back. So being around those people really helped.
0: Definitely. So take me through a typical, a typical week for you, a training week, a life week with your kids, um, balancing with your practice, how frequently do you train? How do you squeeze that training around with your kids?
1: So um, I have three kids at home, three kids in three different schools. So I get up around four. Um, I do paperwork until six thirty. I make sure everybody's awake. We eat breakfast. I drive my three kids to their three different schools. Um, And then I go to work for a couple hours. Um, I try to train between about noon and two, um, so that I can be home when my kids get home. They're older, they're high school aged. Um, So I like to be home just to make sure that everything's going okay um, in the late afternoon, hear about school and all of that. Um, and then my kids train. So all three of my kids have experienced powerlifting. And one of my kids in particular is really into it. So then we come back to the gym in the evening and I may do accessories. Or if I couldn't get there during the day, I'll train um, while he's training.
0: Oh, man. How, 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 old, how old are your kids? The three so that are-
1: I have a 26-year-old, two 16-year-olds and a 14-year-old.
0: I love it. So any of those that are powerlifting, have they competed? Do they have plans on competing?
1: So Kai, my youngest, just did a mock meet at the gym. And uh, his first meet will be in August at USAPL, I think.
0: Oh, man, that's amazing. That's awesome. Have they been there at any of the meets where you've broken your records?
1: They haven't. It's hard for me. So I feel like my first job in this world is to be a mom, right? A mom and a wife. That's, That's what makes my life go. And it's hard for me to focus on breaking records and being having my mind set in the meat when my kids are You're there. wanting to love
0: them and like talk to them and stuff. Yeah. I could like, totally you, that.
1: Yeah. So I'm thinking about are they bored? Do they get something to eat? Whatever. You know, even though they're older now, you just never stop. So um they have watched all of the live feeds and they will come to the American Pro. This will be the first time.
0: That's a good good one for them to come to. That's going to be fun. I'll tell you what, Micah and Anna crushed it last year. It was a ton of fun. I've been running pro meets for years and I just, I take my hat off to them and I bow down. I'm like, you guys, very, very nice. You know, I'll keep bringing people to Miami, coming up with lots of money. You guys keep doing these crazy fancy lights and stuff like that. Like let's go. That is, that is really cool. Yeah. That'll be a, that'll be a good one for them. That'll be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So do you have any other goals? So, you know, you talked about for the American pro going in in sleeves, competing in sleeves, even though it's not really your thing. You said squats are things that you struggle with the most. Same. I can, I can relate to that, but your bench, you've benched over 300 pounds. It's a very impressive bench, especially considering your first coach said you should just focus on deadlift. So pushing those other lifts, do you have any kind of goals for those besides the all time world record in deadlift?
1: I like to squat 550 in sleeves. I feel like that might be a possibility for me. And I ultimately like to bench 350. Um, And then, you know, the deadlift is always king for me. You know, I'd love to pull 700. That's the goal. You know, that's what's up on my mirror. That's what I visualize every day. So eventually, um, I don't think I'll quit until I get there.
0: Oh, man. That is exciting. I just got like goosebumps from that. That's very, very exciting to hear. Cause I mean, even just looking at your rate of progress, people can see it. You know, at the time when you hit the heaviest deadlift of all time, it was uh what was that? 287 kilos. So for you to come back and hit, you know, well over that, and then now to go and hit more, it's like you're making that continued progress, your body's staying healthy. But to put goals like that out there of wanting that 700, that would be amazing. That would, I feel like that would definitely go down in the history books. And if anyone is capable of doing it, you're built for deadlift and seeing how you deadlift. I think it's possible.
1: I sure hope so. That's
0: awesome. And I'll tell you what, a a 550, 350, and whatever the pull is at the American Pro, whenever we get close to those, that will not have you as a deadlift specialist anymore, safe to say. And that's very exciting. Definitely. I love it. One one other question that we had for you was if someone came up to you and told you that they were your powerlifting idol, right? Because a lot of these all-time world record holders, you know, social media figures, people kind of idolize them. You know, obviously you have your focuses, of your family, your practice. You're not as active on social media. But I think as you keep doing these feats, you know, you're going to build more of a fan base. If, if, if that individual or someone out there, you were their idol and they wanted to fall in your footsteps, what pieces of advice do you feel like you'd give them?
1: First of all, get a coach. All right. And find a coach who has been around for a long time. Um, And who has a lot of expertise, so not necessarily just somebody who's really strong, um, but somebody who has experience competing and has been programming for a long time. Um, The second piece of advice I would say is to find strong people and to train with them. You know, if you're a woman and the strongest people are men, then go train with the men. Um, But make sure that you have a team around you that's going to push you. Um, And then the third is to be a part of a team if you can, um, and to be a meaningful part of that team. So help other people load weights, right? Try, you know, provide some feedback when people are lifting, you know, be welcoming to everybody that comes into the gym, because that's somebody who could be a future teammate, right? And somebody that can help you and that you can help moving forward. Those would be the three biggest things probably, you know, and then obviously, I'm biased, but I think having a life outside of powerlifting makes you a better powerlifter. You know, having a little bit of balance, being able to take a break, being able to put it in perspective, because, you know, it's an intense sport. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your mind. Um, And people, I really feel like need a break so that they can perform at their best capacity.
0: And it's also a privilege, right? We're lucky we're able to do that. No one's holding a gun in your head, forcing you to do it. You know, it's it's it shouldn't be work. And when it starts to become work, that's when the fire kind of gets lost. Right. Yes. And to speak on those three points, you kind of talked about that first one. It's it's something that I think is the is the main issue with a lot of coaching nowadays and a lot of this younger generation where Everyone and their mother is an online coach, so to speak, right? It's like when I started, again, I started in 2012, started powerlifting my time in 2013. I started my powerlifting club in the corner of my CrossFit gym in 2014. You know, 2015, I'm just worshiping powerlifting at this point. Start writing my own forms of programming, writing for my team, right, that my club in my CrossFit gym. And so it's in, in the grand scheme of things, I've been doing it a while with how long powerlifting has been around, Right. Or or I should say popularized. Right. And nowadays, everyone and their mother is a coach. Right. Everyone who's any 21 year old kid, 18 year old kid who goes to a meet and pulls 750, 800 pounds because they have insane leverages and they're just super strong. Hey, message me for, you know, for coaching. But there's no actual experience. There's no actual resume or anything behind that. But people, these this, this younger generation, just gravitates towards, whoa, they're doing something really impressive. That means if they help me, I'm going to do something impressive. But that's not at all the case, right? That time, that experience... That familiarity, that having tons of different types of people underneath your belt, t- coaching teams, doing group programming, doing individual programming, and again, I'm not here trying to toot my own horn or toot Jesse's horn or toot Jesse's horn, but it's like that's what comes first. If you look at my open powerlifting history, I am far from the strongest guy around. You know, sure. I can bench over 500 pounds. That's my only one accomplishment, but everything else, you know, my squats in the five hundreds on open power powerlifting <laughs> also, you know, but it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that I'm less qualified than someone else. So if any of you young listeners are out there, listen to what Sarah said, listen to what I'm saying. Look at what that person's accomplished, not just personally in their own lifting, but the people who have been underneath them. How long they've been doing it? How healthy those people are? All of those are going to be super important factors. Yeah, I think that that's just way too overlooked nowadays with this newer generation, especially with social media and everything. And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm very active on social media, and it you know helps a lot of my businesses. But it's just been it's been a crazy evolution since you know both you and I both kind of started powerlifting.
1: Yeah, I can't. Um... You know, I've had a lot of experience with conjugate, but I could not, you know, and I pulled, you know, a lot of weight, but I cannot imagine being a coach, right? I think that it's a gift to be able to be an effective coach, right? It's a talent um, and there's a lot to it. So kind of just coming out of the woodwork after having a really impressive lift, you just don't have the experience that you need to really help people perform at their best. doesn't mean you won't eventually, but putting some time in is important.
0: Agreed. And I'll tell you personally, it makes it a lot a lot more difficult. Also, if you truly want to make this your career and make this your life like I have for the last 10 years, you know, going from managing multiple companies and businesses, running meets under other companies and starting my own brands and opening my own gym and everything. Once you do that. What you had talked about stepping back from powerlifting, going to your regular life and coming back, you know, that's not a thing anymore, you know, and that's why you'll see a lot of like, you know, Jesse probably hasn't competed in years and years and years. He's like probably like me. He trains here and there, whatever, you know, it's like our careers when when you your career counter, you know, goes into what you do and what you love. It will never be the same. So if I can give advice to any of you kids out there, just because you're writing some programs for now and you're like, man, I'm making a couple grand a month from the schmucks, you know, who are willing to do it. (laughs) If you stick around long enough and you actually want to make a true difference, like, you know, Jesse has and other business owners in this community that have been around for a while, it's gonna be, you're, it's gonna be hard to truly be that athlete too, to be able to take away and step back. Because like what you said is extremely true, and I have that conversation with my athletes all the time when they're going through that those periods of burnout and not really loving powerlifting anymore. I'm like, take a few weeks, take a month. I guarantee you, when you come back, the fire's gonna be relit. You know, me, I take those few weeks, few months, I don't train, but I'm still in my career, right? So a little different. Very cool. Awesome, Sarah. Well, it was fantastic talking to you. I really enjoyed getting to hear a little bit more about your story. I'm really excited for our audience in the WRPF to kind of hear this, to see you perform at the American pro. That's going to be, you know, one of the best meets of all time. And I'll be very excited to see that back-to-back battle. Thank you for everything you shared with me. Where can people find you on social media?
1: Uh, it's Sarah eats bacon on Instagram predominantly. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Do you post a lot of your training on there?
1: Uh, I post once or twice a week, not too much, Okay, but I'm uh, but it's all training. So let's yeah. get
0: some more posting in there. In the American leading up to the American pro. Let's get people excited for this battle. I know that I am personally extremely excited. Well, thank you so sad. much, Sarah, best of luck to you leading up to the American pro. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the WRPF podcast.